0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Who's Talking, the podcast where we talk about all things Doctor Who. I'm Michael.
1: And I'm Maggie.
0: And this week we're going to be talking about Chapter 3 of Doctor Who Flux, Once Upon Time.
1: Time is beginning to run wild. On a planet that shouldn't exist in the aftermath of the apocalypse, the Doctor, Dan, Yaz, and Vinder face a battle to survive.
0: That episode was a lot. That's my, um... That's my brief, spoiler-free thoughts on that, Maggie. It was a lot. That's your brief,
1: spoiler-free thought? Mm-hmm. My brief, spoiler-free thought is uh, an enthusiastic thumbs-up with both hands.
0: Both hands?
1: Both hands. Yeah, you get two thumbs here.
0: Two thumbs. So actually, I want to hear... I want... Why? I'm putting you on the spot.
1: That's a good (laughs) question. (laughs) Well, first off, it gets bonus points for the punny title.
0: Yeah, agreed.
1: But also, I enjoyed the bits of information that they gave us. You know, before, whenever we got, like, little teases here and there, everything was so ambiguous, and I feel like this episode, they really started to drop hints that actually explained stuff. And I enjoyed seeing the different aspects of everybody's timelines. I mean, we got to learn a little bit more about Vinder, we got to learn a little bit more about Dan, a little bit more about Ruth. Yaz, not so much, but that was a cute little moment with her sister. And it just, it was, I think it was a really solid episode in, you know, creating excitement for what comes next.
0: I don't disagree with anything you said. I'm slightly less enthusiastic about it because I don't quite think they managed to make everything they were doing feel like a cohesive whole it sort of felt like they didn't feel like they were connected a lot of the times, the, the, the different strands. And particularly Dan and Yaz's felt like the most cuttable.
1: Interesting. I, I was going to say if anything was cuttable, it would be uh, Belle's story.
0: I, I would have agreed with that had her story not ended up being so tied to Vinder's story, which I think is one of the two that you can't cut. So so, Belle kind of exists for me in between, like right on that line between what I might cut and what I might not cut. Solely because of her being tied into Vinder's story, which, side note, what was the purpose of like drawing that out and making it seem like she, that she was looking for the doctor or something? Is that like, did you get that vibe too?
1: That she was looking for the doctor? No.
0: So I don't know. It was, it was For me, it was the way that they were like trying to tease whoever she was looking for. I was like, I think it might have been more compelling if right at the top they they said, like, because her story leads into the the opening credits, right? Yeah. That if right before the opening credits, if she had been, like, name-dropped Vinder there to make it be like, oh, that's why we're following this strange person. Because otherwise you're trying to guess why you're following them. And the logical guess, for me anyway, was, oh, for some reason she's looking for probably the fugitive doctor.
1: I don't know what I necessarily thought in terms of who she was looking for. I will say I did not think that the thing she was talking to was a baby monitor.
0: I thought it was like a Tamagotchi. I'm not going to lie.
1: <laughs> I thought, okay, do you remember that planet that uh, 12 and Bill went to where they had the garden and the emoji the emoji things? Yeah, I thought it was one of those.
0: I had that thought too. I was like, hmm, I wonder if it's the same technology as the, the smiley robots. Like maybe they made Tamagotchi pets. Because it really, it kind of looked like a Tamagotchi, did it not? A little bit. But but yeah, so I guess my my chief problem with the episode was that there was just constantly too much happening. While I didn't think it was confusing, it was just like hard to get a feel for anything because you were so constantly jumping to something else. Where I was like, no, I'd like to stay in this story for a second. Oh no, I guess we're going to go check in on Dan and Joseph Williamson for the third random time this season.
1: I definitely agree with that, especially when it came to like Belle's story, because I know I just said it was cuttable, but it was really, really interesting. And I wanted to learn more about the world that was created after the Flux and this existence she lived where there were different sectors of the universe ruled by different monsters. And like, that's that's some comic book stuff. That's that's so compelling.
0: But now we're going to do whatever else we're going to do instead
1: watch Yaz play video games.
0: Which, I mean, that was a fun scene. Like, I don't... When I say that Yaz and Dan's storylines felt cuttable, it doesn't mean that I want to cut them.
1: No, no, I get that. I mean, I just said Bell's scene was cuttable and then talked about how much I loved Belle's scenes.
0: This episode just should have been longer, I think. Like, why was last week's episode an hour long and did way less, but this week's episode was 50 minutes long and needed those extra 10 minutes?
1: I don't know. But I definitely agree with you there i i would have liked to hang out longer with each of the stories and especially yaz because
0: yaz got the short end of the stick this week
1: she did
0: i mean dan didn't do much better in terms of like getting a lengthy end of the stick but it was like yaz's storyline was the one that felt the most like it was just there because they needed to set up the weeping angels
1: yeah it was just there so she could like see them out of the corner of her eye and you know Props to them though, because this is the first time that they've had the Weeping Angels, and they've had the companions not blink for a certain length of time. And just because I'm me, I will hold my eyes open for as long as <laughs> I possibly can to see if I can match the companions. And I don't know if it's because I'm now 25 and not 16, but I, I could hold, I could ho- hold my eyes open as long as Yaz did. And I was wow. very proud of them for not extending that to an unreasonable length.
0: You know, I, I, I'm i going to be honest, I didn't pay attention to it that much, but I love that for you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I am looking forward to the Weeping Angels. I just didn't need... I didn't need that this week.
1: No, and I think there was... there could have been enough of the Weeping Angels that they could have just shown up briefly at the end to take over the phone box. They didn't need to intervene in all of Yaz's stories.
0: I mean, I, I assume that whole idea of her timeline being corrupted is going to go somewhere... Because that's the whole thing, like, they, they, she was appearing in there because the doctor says her timeline's corrupted or something? Did, like, did that, didn't she briefly have that conversation with her when she took over her sister's body during the video game scene?
1: I know she jumped to a scene in Yaz's potential future because for some reason she couldn't get into Yaz's past or something like that.
0: I don't know, the whole Yaz thing was just really confusing. That was the only part of the episode where I was like, what's hat? what's going on? In terms of, like, logical point A to point B, like, linear storytelling. Like, I never had trouble understanding what the Doctor's plan was in terms of throwing them all into their timelines. Partially because they explicitly tell us, like, 20 times what's going on. Yeah. But, and and I've seen a lot of people going, it was a super confusing episode. And I don't really agree with that, except with Yaz's story, where it's like, what's going on and why aren't you telling us and also i'm still annoyed about joseph Williamson. i'm I'm not gonna i'm not done being annoyed about him (laughs) he just keeps showing up maggie what does he want
1: (laughs) well i think we will find out
0: so speaking of yaz and dan's storyline i did think that dan scenes with diane who is his best friend but love interest i got that right that's what they're going That's with?
1: That's where I was going, okay. uh, picking up, yeah.
0: Yeah, their scenes were really sweet.
1: They were. They're just, they're very, they're very cute. I love their little dynamic.
0: And I, I just, I appreciate, so, so in their scenes, we sort of learn a little bit more about Dan's past in that apparently he was engaged what, 15 years ago?
1: Something like that, yeah.
0: And it didn't work out because his fiance decided she couldn't bear spending the rest of her life with him.
1: Which, what a way to go out! I Which,
0: mean, oof. <laughs> but I, but I, I like that it doesn't seem to have made him bitter.
1: No, I think if anything, he was seemed grateful for her honesty, at the very least.
0: For sure, like he seems sad about it, but he seems, it, it's like he's like you said, he's happy that happy may not be the right word, but he's. Thankful it that that came out then, and not like in a catastrophe five years later, as it all fell to pieces,
1: or even two days later when they were on their honeymoon.
0: Yeah, I know you're really vibing with Diane.
1: Yeah, I really like her. And something that has bugged me for years with science fiction is just the uh, the lack of disability rep that we've been sort of given with with actors. Because in science fiction, people lose limbs all the time. People are part robot. I mean, there are so many opportunities within this genre for people with physical disabilities to really have an opportunity to have these roles and to shine. And there's no reason they can't. And what's interesting is that with Diane's role, absolutely nothing has been brought up about her arm. This isn't a part that's written to be a disabled character, and it was just—it was just re- really nice. I just sort of looked at her and I was like, "Oh, I didn't notice that arm the last time I saw her," and that's just so cool and so needed. And it's just—it's very nice to see, and I wanted to give the Doctor Who team props for that.
0: I—I I am very upset that Diane is being held captive in the passenger prison.
1: I am also upset.
0: I I did think so when they revealed to Dan that Diane was in passenger. Did you notice that Vinder was like immediately ready to help him find Diane and save her? Because he says something right after like Dan's like I'm going to get you and the doctor holds him back and Vinder's like yeah I'm going to I'll help I will help you get her.
1: You're right, he did do that.
0: And I just think Knowing what we know after that scene from when they tell us that, you know, Vinder and Belle are looking for each other, I think it speaks to Vinder as a character that he was so willing and ready to help somebody else find the person they love, potentially before he could find the person he loves.
1: That's true. I think it's very nice this episode gave us a lot to work with with regards to Vinder so that now we care about him.
0: I and I really care about him. Like
1: I do. He's just he's such a good guy.
0: I was totally ready for him to be like a like a scoundrel, but no, this is like a a dude with morals.
1: Yeah. I I feel like they were setting him up to have this sort of like Han Solo quality to him, like some like you know, he was in there he was on that uh space station for a reason. No. No, he's just he did the right thing.
0: What did you think about um, the Grand Serpent, which is such a, a delightfully Doctor Who campy name for a villain?
1: It felt very Thor Ragnarok.
0: Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. He had kind of like a Grandmaster vibe.
1: I was like, yeah, this could be, this could be Jeff Goldblum. Sure.
0: And um, the actor, uh, Craig Parkinson, looked like he was having the time of his life.
1: I mean, if you're going to be a terrible evil villain, you've got to have fun with it, man.
0: But it, I think it's it's worth pointing out that we haven't seen the last of him. No? There's footage in the trailers of him in other locations, which suggests he's coming back. Which suggests he didn't get destroyed in the Flux, as we see that Vinder's home planet is a pile of rubble at the end of the episode.
1: Yeah, which I think is actually a really nice parallel. You know, Vinder seeing his planet get destroyed and the Doctor seeing her planet get destroyed at the end of Spyfall. So now the doctor has, on some level, an ability to relate to him as well. Everybody has their little moments now where they've got something that they can relate to Vinder in some way.
0: Speaking of Vinder and the Doctor having a connection, he seemed awful familiar with the idea of a TARDIS.
1: He called it by a name. He 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 said, "Is that a TARDIS?" He knows he knows Time Lords.
0: I mean, it's not surprising in that Time Lords are such a big part of the universe, but. For such a big part of the universe, it's remarkable how often other alien cultures don't seem to know about them in, in the current, you know, new who. This is the first time in a while where we've, like, been in a situation where a lot of different people are very familiar with the idea of Time Lords.
1: Oh, but did you notice in the season premiere that when Dan goes in the spaceship for the first time, he says something to the effect of, a buddy of mine has one of these. It's a bit bigger.
0: I did notice that. I, I'm. It ticked my little red flag, but I, I'm i hoping it was just Dan making a silly joke.
1: It could have been. That's what they played it off as.
0: I just, I don't want evil Dan. Ever, the internet's making funny jokes about evil Dan.
1: Oh, see, I wouldn't have gone the evil Dan route. I would have just gone, Dan secretly has experience with TARDISes that we don't know about and maybe he met a past incarnation of the Doctor that showed up in his childhood or something.
0: I would be cool with that. I, I also... I don't know, I like Dan being just a guy as well.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. According to my notes for this show, I did clock that Bell and Vinder were a thing a little bit before the reveal.
0: I should have clocked that. But I think I was just so caught up in... Because by that point, I think by the time that I would have potentially clocked it, I was I was so thrilled to finally be learning what in the world was going on that I stopped paying attention to Belle and Vinder entirely for a hot few minutes there. Because, Maggie, we finally learned what was going on.
1: We did! We finally got information that wasn't just vague hand-waving.
0: I mean, it's still a little vague in that, like, It's always vague when you're dealing with the, like, super high concept ideas of time and space fighting each other. And they've not really gone into any detail about what that actually means yet. But what they have gone into detail on is that the Time Lords and or the Division are responsible for building the Temple.
1: Oh, I believe they're responsible for building time. The planet, time.
0: And that... Azure and Swarm, who are officially confirmed to be the Ravagers that were mentioned in one of the trailers, they are on the side of time trying to free it from space. And the Time Lords are on the side of space. Why is still kind of the big question for me, but I'm so happy that, like, the conflict is starting to make sense.
1: Yes, and we have confirmation that the Flux exists because it is a... I'm going to say man-made creation, but man-made is not the right word considering it was not made by men. It was made by aliens.
0: It's an artificial creation. It
1: is an artificial creation made directly as the result of something the doctor does. So either she made it or somebody made it to punish her or because they thought they were helping her.
0: On that note, we learn that from a mysterious woman who is named in the credits as and lord only knows if this is the correct pronunciation awsok awsok she's played by barbara flynn and she's the one who i was getting some pretty big uh actual villain vibes off of her
1: oh yeah that that woman knows too much
0: if she's not the villain she's certainly like the like a god who couldn't care less
1: she's definitely going to be connected to the time lords in a very big way you just you you, either a time lord herself or part of the division
0: i think if she's not connected to that then she's possibly like
1: maybe she's atropos maybe that's what i thought that's what i thought the first time um she popped up and i was like oh is she is she weaving fate is that what's going on right now although i think atropos is the one who cuts fate not the one who weaves it i believe clotho is the one who weaves it so maybe she's clotho let's talk about the division for a sec We've learned a bit more about how the division operates. You were very much right. They did just stick Dan and Yaz and Vinder in um, the past as...
0: Standing in for division agents. Yeah,
1: standing in for division agents. And we got to see a bit more of Ruth, which was incredibly exciting because I love Ruth.
0: I wish we'd seen... Like, don't get me wrong. Jodie Whittaker did one heck of a job playing the Fugitive Doctor. But I kind of wish we'd just gotten to see Ruth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she was there. They had her on set. She has pictures with the rest of the cast that she's posted on social media. So they didn't just bring her into a green screen. They even, in one of the the behind-the-scenes videos, they mentioned that the way that they filmed those mirror scenes was that literally they were able to angle the camera a certain way, that both Jodie Whittaker and Joe Martin were standing next to each other on the actual set. And just because of where they had the camera placed, you were getting the reflection of joe martin in that kind of mirror thing but over jody's shoulder so she was there <laughs> and i just kind of like because and the other ones we got to like see the actual characters stand in for who they were like yaz keeps cutting in and out of whoever whoever vendors kind of supervising officer was but we got to see some of him and the grand servant was played by an actual not yaz dan or doctor character and the same happened with Yaz's, you know, storyline where, you know, we saw her actual sister and we saw some of her actual partner. And for the most part, nobody was really breaking into Dan's storyline. So why couldn't we have gotten I guess because they needed the doctor to be in her own storyline, but I just would have liked to see Ruth more. Especially in that confrontation between the Fugitive Doctor and Swarm and Azure there at the end.
1: Yeah, that was that would have been a really great moment to just Let Ruth be unleashed, I guess is a way to phrase it. It would just, it would have been fun. I would have liked to see what, um, what Joe Martin could do with it.
0: But I'm not really complaining because Jodie Whittaker, like, hit it out of the park.
1: 100%. And she hit out, hit it out of the park when she was, uh, cutting in and out of Yaz's storyline, too. There's this whole bit when they're in the cop car and they're on a stakeout and she's just talking about, like, the price of chips or something.
0: And it's so funny.
1: It's spectacular. We don't really get a lot of opportunity to see her comedy chops. And she's got them. She's got really good timing.
0: I think this episode, because of all of the different things it asked for the whole cast, I think every single member of the cast really got to show off their acting chops this episode.
1: And they all brought their A-game.
0: Every one of them. I mean, Dan as Carvanista Was such an inspired choice. Oh
1: my god! (laughs) Such a choice.
0: (laughs) Like, I never would have guessed... Like, I I, I had guessed, as we said, that Dan Yaz and Vinder were going to be standing in for division agents. But there's no way in a million years I'd have guessed that Dan was going to be standing in for Carvanista.
1: Oh my god, and the fact that Carvanista apparently knows and worked with the Doctor?
0: Right? I cannot wait. You know they're going to have to meet again before the end of the season. Because now the Doctor knows that he knows... He knows the information she wants.
1: And not just that, if he knows the Doctor, and the Doctor's companion eventually ends up being Dan, and like I said, I have the whole theory that he was given Dan very specifically. It wasn't just random selection.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think this episode really bolsters your theory, yeah. And then <laughs> the moment I clocked that he was playing Carvinista was when, I forget if it was Yaz or Vinder's characters... But when one of them called him a dog, early on, I was like, oh, that's what's happening. And then, of course, the axe came out.
1: And I just thought, maybe it's another Lupari. But then the axe came out.
0: And then, of course, it flashed to being actual Carbonista for a hot second. And I was like, oh, my God, they were partners.
1: (laughs) And they were partners. Oh, my
0: God, they were partners. But also, like, I guess that's it, because Yas didn't really say anything in Vinder's storyline, did she? She was kind of there. No, she spoke. Yaz played, like, multiple characters in that. Because I don't think that was the same character who was lurking in the background during the, uh...
1: Definitely not.
0: But it was still Yaz. Yeah. Which was weird. They couldn't... They could have used Dan or something. Why Yaz?
1: Why Yaz? Yes, indeed? I mean, didn't we talk a little bit about how her timeline seemed like it was having a bit of a problem? And what does the doctor have to do with it? Because I think the doctor definitely... I mean... Of course, the Doctor knows more than she's letting on, but specifically with regards to...
0: What's going on with Yaz. Yeah. Speaking of kind of that, at the, towards the end of the episode, after, you know, Swarm and DuJour piece out, the Doctor is just brutal to Yaz, to, particularly to Yaz, but to both Yaz and Dan in that scene where it's just, you're going to do what I say when I say it and shut up.
1: But also... That line that she has, does everything have to be a discussion? I was just like, they're married!
0: (laughs) It felt like a really natural continuation of that tension between them as the doctor's very obviously hiding stuff from Yaz.
1: Yeah, and it's clearly getting to Yaz and affecting Yaz, and it's getting to the doctor, too. I mean, if we want to go back to me talking about disability rep, if we want to talk about mental health chibnall has said that he wants to go and revisit that storyline with yaz you know they're not just done with her mental health storyline and i think the idea of having that particularly in connection to how that is going to relate to something so huge as time and space
0: i mean i think it even like imagine you're someone like yaz who has a history of mental illness And the person that you consider your best friend is blatantly lying to you and trying to push you away and shut you out. What's that going to do to you?
1: Yeah, and Yaz can tell that the doctor is hurting. Like, she's actively trying to to help the doctor.
0: And the doctor won't let her in.
1: So it's not like she thinks that it's 100% personal. Because she gets that the doctor's taking out whatever's going on on her.
0: I just, I, I, I definitely can see Chibnall's desire to continue exploring the mental health of not only Yaz, but I think of,
1: of the doctor multiple as well.
0: characters. Yeah, I, I, I can see the way he's laying the groundwork to keep doing that here, where it's like, you know that this is going to reach a boiling point at some point, and they're going to have to have a discussion about how they're hurting each other, or or whatever. You know what I mean? Like and I'm just I'm curious to see that play out and and where where that exploration goes.
1: And it's just if they do a worthwhile job, I mean that's it's going to be a really really nice story, you know, in whatever way it plays out,
0: whether it's positive or negative, yeah.
1: Yeah, you're going to show the real effects of mental illness in whatever form because some people get help and some people don't and
0: and sometimes you lose friends because of it, and sometimes, you know, you guys, you're you able to help each other, and sometimes you don't, and, and you make each other worse.
1: Exactly, and sometimes you have to exit a situation if you recognize that it's actively harming you, even though there's no desire for the harm to be there.
0: And even if there's nobody necessarily at fault, either. That you, the, you know, like, the, the doctor is not intentionally harming Yaz
1: no i don't think the doctor would intentionally harm anybody except maybe the daleks
0: exactly but she is harming yaz and you know if if it doesn't if they can't sort it out it might result in yaz deciding that she has to leave for her own good but i but i hope they work it out i'd like them to work it out
1: oh definitely definitely i i
0: don't need i don't need that much more angst in my life
1: they deserve to be happy
0: so as you know, as the episode ends, we learned that Swarm and Azur had assumed had not even just assumed had planned that the Doctor would save the day here. Like the only reason they lured her to this planet was to force her to learn about her past, and then they just kind of nope out of there. They're like, "Cool, bye, see you later." Then the Doctor is stuck to just just to take her friends home, and then we very clunkily get a cliffhanger that felt to me anyway really out of place like tonally to hit get us into the next episode with the angel like the the end of the episode is such like a like a somber downer right
1: and then all of a sudden angels
0: yeah it it felt to me the way that like some of the season finales would feel in the Russell T Davies era where it'd be really sad and then the titanic would break into the tardis and david tennant would be like what and it was just like such a tonal just whiplash of we've got to get you into the next episode where it's like, I don't, could we have figured out a, a slightly better way of cliffhangering into the Angels episode? Like I love the idea of the Angels taking over the TARDIS. It's just the, like the actual like execution of that was just so tonally out of left field, even though it was set up with all of the Angel stuff in Yaz's storyline.
1: Yeah, no, it does. It definitely feels like it was tacked on at the end in order to create a cliffhanger, as opposed to just naturally being in there.
0: Especially when you compare it to the previous two, which were like direct, those cliffhangers were direct climaxes of what was happening in that episode.
1: And I think that's a result of Yaz's story and her whole timeline just feeling so sort of clunky just kind of there just to give the actors stuff to do which again it was entertaining and it was enjoyable but
0: it's just the, the episode seemed like it was so about the doctor's stuff in the past like it felt like it was the episode to me felt like it wanted to be a fugitive doctor story right like the plot of the episode was the doctor having to revisit her past to figure out how to save the present day problem. Because that's basically what happens. She gets the idea to use the passenger thing to hide the Mori. So that the Mori can take over the temple again. Because that's what she sees happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And that felt like the episode. But then everything else was also there. And so because of that, there's not like a natural the main story ends before you get to the cliffhanger. Whereas in episode one, the main story is the flux and its climax is the cliffhanger. And in episode two, the, even though the Santaran stuff ends, the stuff with Yaz and Vinder and the temple are a more sort of central part of that episode. That when the doctor and and Dan get to the temple with like a solid five minutes of the episode left, That cliffhanger doesn't feel tacked on because you realize that that's...
1: That everything that happened with Vinder and Yaz had a purpose. Which is sort of how you feel about Belle's story with the tacked on ending about her and Vinder's unborn child.
0: Where it's like, oh, we've been seeing her because because she is part of Vinder's story.
1: And now that story has purpose.
0: And we're compelled to find out what happens to them. Like, I'm... I'm eager for them to find each other because both individually, Vinder and Belle, are pretty compelling characters now. And they seem like they'd be dynamite together.
1: I just think Belle has such a love for her child. And I feel like Vinder, as a character we've seen, he's such a... He's like
0: a selfless guy.
1: Yeah, he's a very selfless guy. And I just think he's going to make a really good dad. (laughs) He's going to be such a good dad, Michael.
0: I agree. And I just, I don't feel as compelled by the Weeping Angel thing as I do about any of that other stuff. And I love the Weeping Angels.
1: Unless, and hear me out. Okay. I haven't seen this on the internet, but somebody probably has also come up with it. The Weeping Angels are the Mori.
0: I think I even thought that last week. Or if they weren't, that they were connected. Because both races are quantum-locked races.
1: And they're both feminine-presenting, and they're both...
0: They both have a Time Lord connection, because in the end of time, Rassilon mentions the Weeping Angels of old.
1: And I don't know, if something happened with the Morai and they got out of control and they couldn't be the Time Lord's little uh, pet secret anymore, the Time Lords might want to do something about that, and that might result in Weeping Angels, who, as a result of that, are a little too uh, ready to become villains.
0: (laughs) I've seen an interesting theory, though, that the Weeping Angels might not be villains right now. Because they feed off of time. They send somebody back in time so they can feed off of their time energy. But with time in...
1: Absolute chaos.
0: They can't... uh, it's, It's a little bit harder to feed off of time the way they normally do right now. So I've seen some theories that suggest that they want the Doctor to fix things so that they can go back to what they normally do. And so they may not be commandeering the TARDIS for a nefarious purpose, but rather to steer the doctor to where she needs to be to start stopping things.
1: I just know that the Weeping Angels hit that control, and every single person who has ever purchased a shirt that says the angels have the phone box just punched the air.
0: Speaking of next week, you're going to be really happy about this. Your favorite person's back.
1: Oh, Claire! Claire's back!
0: Claire's back. And... She seems like she's getting help from Professor Jericho, who's played by Kevin McNally, of Pirates of the Caribbean fame, which I'm really excited about.
1: Yes, that is very exciting, and I'm very excited to see Claire. And I just, I need to understand more about her timeline, and I want to know if she's got a connection to Clara.
0: I, I hope she doesn't, but I want to know if she does.
1: I mean, I understand the hope that she doesn't, because at this point... You know, one of Moffat's biggest issues that we were most critical about was the fact that, you know, everything was connected and these weren't just random everyday individuals. They were all part of some larger, greater situation. But also, you know, throwing one one of those characters in there wouldn't be too bad of a thing. It might just be kind of fun. I
0: get what you're saying, but I have this problem with more things than Doctor Who. Like, I criticize Star Wars all the time for making things too connected, where it's like, this is a big galaxy. It's a big universe.
1: And raised parents were Palpatine and some random woman.
0: <laughs> yeah, like... No, I mean, like, as a nerd, it would absolutely be fun if Claire was, like, a Clara Echo. But as somebody who's really appreciating that this season is making the, the Doctor Who universe feel really big again... Like, there are all these different... I think I said this earlier, but there are all these different civilizations that are, like, existing. Like, I have no idea what Vinder's culture is but he's an alien
1: he is we don't know what type of alien he's humanoid that's what we've got
0: but so i just i wouldn't want to retreat back into making the universe feel smaller again
1: definitely i can definitely uh see your point there
0: but either way she's back and i think we're going to start learning some stuff because jericho is clearly experimenting maybe not experimenting but doing some research on her
1: I think it's going to be fun. And, and, 60s. We get funky costumes.
0: I hope they live up to your expectations.
1: They're not going to. I know they're not. (laughs) The doctor's just going to wear her coat. It's fine. But also, can we talk about the Doctor's, like, new coat that I'm pretty sure is just her old coat that they flipped inside out?
0: They said, I swear I saw the costume designer on Twitter say it was a new coat, but it does certainly just look like it's the reversal of the current coat.
1: It does. It looks like it's the reversal of the current coat, and they just, like, tacked some stuff in place so that it looked like it was on the right side.
0: Well, the the coat is reversible. Like, it is, a- it was actually designed to be a reversible coat. She's just never reversed it before. Oh. So it is entirely possible they just flipped it inside out. And they may have had to sew on those golden accents that are there. I mean, I could be wrong. I feel like I remember reading the coat was reversible.
1: Well, if it wasn't, it definitely is now.
0: I always love when the doctor gets an alternate outfit. Like, like Ten had his blue suit instead of the... Uh,
1: the brown suit? And... Eleven had the purple jacket instead of the tweed jacket. Twelve got his hoodies.
0: I love Twelve's hoodies. By the by, his moth-eaten hoodies.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely brilliant. He starts out in this like really nice crisp suit, and then and by it... <laughs> the end of the show, he's in hoodies.
0: <laughs> he's in the hoodies and the suits and just tatters. I I I'm sad that I doubt we'll see this coat again because yeah. that dark blue looked so good.
1: And it really was. I mean, I get that it was there to represent like the division and possibly also you know a dark color to represent the darkness of what the doctor went through when the darkness was with the division i think it would be fun to see some alternative looks for the doctor i mean i know she's had she's alternated between a navy shirt and a purple shirt and one time one time in Spyfall, she got to wear a costume
0: when she wore uh, peter capaldi's costume in the first episode that looked great on her. I wish it they'd did. give her more, like, suits to wear. Just like, because she she, you just mentioned it, she wears a suit in Spyfall for a hot second.
1: Yeah, and she looks great. And I mean, I understand the desire not to just shove her in suits.
0: I think I think I just like the color on her. The, the darker colors look really good on her.
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely.
0: Also, the Division costumes on Yaz, Dan, and Vinder were so cool
1: they were cool
0: i mean they were very generic sci-fi like
1: yeah but why does generic sci-fi villain get cool costumes i don't (laughs) who decided that that was going to be the rule that the generic villains were going to be the ones with the cool costumes
0: well didn't you know that all heroes have no sense of fashion and only villains do
1: edna mode would disagree with you
0: edna mode is 100 percent an anti-hero at best that that woman is two steps away from being a supervillain, and you won't change my mind. She's probably running all the supervillain crimes anyway. She's the head honcho. They're all reporting straight. To, where do you think they're getting their costumes from? She is an equal opportunist. This is my Incredibles hot take for the
1: day. <laughs> <laughs> now, I had one more theory that I wanted to uh, talk to you about. So, we were given that the pa- the various passengers, they have... A huge capacity for so many people.
0: I think they said it was a nearly unlimited capacity.
1: Well, isn't it handy then that they're around when the world is ending and people need saving, huh?
0: I would not be surprised if come episode 6, a certain Time Lord doesn't borrow a passenger and get into their TARDIS. And start loading people into said passenger before a certain destructive force could kill them all.
1: If you put something that has physical dimensions inside something that has relative dimensions inside something that is contained within physical dimensions, what kind of paradox are we looking at there?
0: You know, I don't want to think about it because it makes my head hurt. But I would imagine a big one. That's how we get the Big Bang 3. She just puts passenger inside the TARDIS. Boom. New universe. Problem solved. Bring in the dancing lobsters.
1: Do you think if we had a new universe, people would still have, like, five fingers?
0: I, I can't do this tonight, Maggie. <laughs> 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 the show hurts my head.
1: Whether they hold weight or they're light as a feather, if you want to hear our thoughts, you can tune in next week when we break down Chapter 4 of Flux, Village of the Angels. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great day.